Hey, y'all. In honor of us going to the Rise Business Conference this week, we wanted to throw back to one of our favorite episodes with one of our favorite people, Mr. Dave Hollis. Dave Hollis is the CEO of The Hollis Co., the co-host of the Start Today Morning Show, and just happens to be co-creator of the Rise Business Conference. We hope y'all enjoy. Hi, I'm Brandon. And I'm Megan. For years, we were stuck in a rut, always complaining that nothing ever changed for us. And then we realized if we wanted to improve our lives, we had to put in the work. Each week on this podcast, we'll get into an aspect of personal growth, relationships, or just life. Through our own experiences and guest interviews, we hope to inspire you to make your own positive changes. Welcome Welcome to to the the Fools in Love Podcast. Guys, today we are so excited to have Dave Hollis on the Fools in Love podcast. Dave is the CEO of the Hollis Co., a dad of four, and his wife just happens to be Rachel Hollis. Dave left his job at Walt Disney to come alongside Rachel to pursue their calling of giving people the tools they need to make lasting changes in their lives. Together, they truly do it all. Writing books, doing their Instagram and Facebook daily show live, putting on conferences, podcasts, all while raising a family and keeping their marriage strong. Welcome, Dave. Well, thank you for having me, Megan and Brandon. Absolutely, Dave. We're so happy to have you here today. And we really love following you and Rachel's journey. And it's really so funny for us because how we were introduced to you is I just happened to be on a random Target trip. And there I saw Rachel's face. And I grabbed the book on a whim for Megan. And it kind of just went from there and opened us up into a whole new world. Wow. That is the like least conventional journey to hanging out with us in <laughs> cyberspace, but I love that that's the way that it happened. I remember Rachel filming the like target wall video in the living room of our house, yelling and screaming at the humans who were walking through the store. I'm glad to hear that it got your attention. Oh, that might've been the one where she was pushing a cart and talking about ridiculous things, but either way, good work on like being persuaded by her and for, having us become virtual friends. Oh my gosh, yeah. From from after reading your book, I was like, Brandon, you really need to listen to this Rise Together podcast that I found after I finished the book because I feel like you could really identify with a lot of the things this dude Dave is saying. It's been, I mean, here's the thing. I came out of an environment where one of my primary jobs was spinning anything that was happening into something that might from the outside be viewed optically as all great, totally fine, nothing to see here. As a person who was the Sunday correspondent for the company to the press or the person who was trying to make the filmmaker feel good. And so to go from that, the muscle memory that I had to unlearn to be comfortable enough to talk about the stuff that we talk about on a podcast or getting up and doing the zany morning show thing we do has been, it's been weird in the very, very best way. But once you embrace the idea of owning the vulnerability that is, you know, just a part of our every single day existence, it became kind of normal. And in a weird way, ends up connecting people who also actually end up having some empathy or feeling the same kind of thing. So hopefully it's also like putting tools into people's hands, especially guys that might not necessarily self-identify as wanting to, you know, reach for something that might help them grow because it's a little entertaining first and then maybe a little bit of teaching opportunity second, but we love doing it. It's fun. Yeah. And I think one of the things that really drew me in to you personally 
was the fact that you talk so openly about your struggles and getting on the path to where you want to be. And as men, a lot of times it's hard to open up like that and identify. But when you have someone that is out there in the public eye, completely open like you were, uh, it just it just meant, meant so much to me and allowed me to be in a place where I knew that I could open up and I could strive for more. And so what I wanted to do is for some of the people that may not know your story, could you just give us a little bit about your journey and kind of what brought you to this point? For sure. So I work now with my wife at a company that we have vainly named after ourselves, the Hollis Company. <laughs> but before, uh, about a year ago, when we started this venture together, I uh, lived with my family in Los Angeles. We have four children. One is 12, one is 10, one is six, one is two. Uh, that's a lot of kids. Uh, we, at the time when we were living in Los Angeles, each had careers that were separate from each other. She'd spent 15 years worth of time building a media company that had a bunch of different lives through the evolution of who she was becoming as a woman. The company kind of morphed as she morphed and grew as she grew. And at the same time, I had worked in media for kind of the entirety of my adult life. I started at Fox. I then went to an agency where I repped talent. I went into a grassroots marketing uh, gig. I then ended up at the Walt Disney Company. And for 17 years, I worked in the studio business, the movie business. And for the last seven of those 17 years was the head of sales for the theatrical side, the movie theater side. We make movies, we sell movies to movie theaters, they put them in theaters. My job was selling movies to theaters, which uh, was a really, really great job and created experiences that I'll have memories of for the rest of my life. But uh, that at the same time, Rachel's business had grown into this place of being very, very much at the cusp of tipping into something fantastic and great. Uh, I was selling Star Wars and Avengers movies to movie theaters that would literally go out of business if they did not have them. So selling them wasn't that difficult. Either of you could have sold them. <laughs> and um, that it wasn't that difficult at the same time that it felt like there was so much opportunity to do this good work with my wife, we made a choice. Bizarrely, and what looks like really good instinct now, before Girl Wash Your Face came out. So mm -hmm. uh, about two years ago, we made this decision. We impulsively bought a place in Austin, Texas to create some leverage for me to approach the Walt Disney Company about leaving. We made the plans to go as of June of last year, and the last year has been a drinking from a fire hydrant kind of experience with every single high you could uh, imagine, and a bunch of really hard and at times overwhelming stuff as we experience the fun and challenge of working together, the fun and challenge of a faster-paced existence with some of the successes that have happened, and um, a lot of excitement about what the opportunity to do the work together to try and put tools in people's hands that if they use them, it might change their life means as we grow a company that when we got here in June of last year had six humans working at it. And that today we're moving into our new offices tomorrow. We have 25 people working in the company 
which is a lot of new people in a short period of time. That makes it, like I say, very much exciting and a little chaotic. So oh my it's gosh. Fun. Oh my gosh. That's so exciting. And congratulations. That's that's awesome. So thank you. You're welcome. So how do you take that first step? Because we believe that so many people know deep down that they're not where they should be in their life, but because of fear, or maybe just even because they've been doing it for so long, like you said, 17 years, they just feel like that's it and they, they can't do anything else. So what really, how do you get from there, that feeling of this is just what I do, to being able to take that first step and, or that leap of faith out? Well, for me, it was a combo platter of two things that converged at the same time, maybe even three things. But I was in this strange bridge from my 30s to my 40s, where I was really asking some bigger questions about purpose, the reason and meaning of life, what God has you know, in store for me, or why this potential that I have inside of me exists, and why it was or wasn't, and it wasn't at the time, being fully utilized, and what I needed to do about it. And uh, I had a, a, a providential spa moment, a moment where my kids and I on the regular would be out back. They got to ask me any question at all. And one of the questions that my middle son asked was what my greatest fear in life was. And he was looking for something gross. And I told him not living up to my potential. And I knew it, you know, I knew it, but it wasn't a thing I was thinking of. And it just fell out of my mouth. And it created a sense of urgency for fixing a thing that I'd kind of just become um, really accustomed to. Uh, and that was certainty. Like I had grown up really believing that being a provider and having certainty and managing everyone else's and my expectations and um, clinging to the things that I knew was the thing that I needed to do to be happy in life. And my decision to do that was coming at the expense of my ability to grow. And if you're not growing, you are definitely not going to be able to feel this kind of fulfillment that you want and certainly not be able to tap into the potential that you want. So I had some urgency and the urgency was uh, multiplied by the second thing, which was my discontent of getting A grades, but not having to study at work. My discontent of not feeling challenged in the absence of really truly being able to fail, not really growing. Um, I was not showing up for my life in a way that I was proud of. I was not the husband that Rachel deserved. I was not the dad that my four kids deserved. I, I just was kind of in a rut. I was stuck. I was on that bridge having what I had made fun of because I didn't think it existed, a midlife-ish kind of crisis. And the answer to unlock the challenge that I was looking for and the growth that I needed and the passion or the impact that would actually make meaningful the unleashing of the potential inside of me sat at the tipping point that existed in my wife's business. And so for me, it took that combo of getting myself to let go of the commodity I'd held closest in my life, certainty, for the appreciation that even if I were to push myself into an environment that was uncomfortable, that the discomfort would produce growth and that growth was the only way that I could actually truly be fulfilled and use my potential. And it just so happened that one of the most prolific writers of our time, one of the most inspirational <laughs> women to ever walk the earth, shared a room with me. And, uh, and so we really started having a big conversation about going to do it. But 
I'm going to come back and answer the question now in the shortest way possible. <laughs> For me, it took the leverage of seeing what staying on my existing path would mean for my life 10 years or 20 years in the future versus what it might look like to take the alternate path. And I imagined very specifically my 60th birthday party where my grown children were sitting around a table raising glasses and individually toasting what they admired most about me. And in the version where I didn't take massive action to unlock potential and find fulfillment, it was not a fun party to sit around the table at. And so I used the leverage of that image to push myself into the discomfort that I needed to grow. Absolutely. Yeah. And and I can identify honestly with all those things because that's one of the things, again, that made me, it's so easy to relate to you, Dave, because those are things that I had struggled with as well. And one of the highlights for me, and I don't, I'll preface this by saying I don't journal often. I know you guys have the Start Today journal, and I'll admit I don't journal often enough. But I will say that one of the things that stuck out to me is I read a journal that I had written, a journal entry from three years ago. And then I read the most recent journal entry I had done. This was like at the end of last year. And I was writing the same things. I was writing the same things and I was struggling with the same challenges. And it's because I didn't put myself out there. I didn't challenge myself. I didn't lean into the discomfort, as you said. And because of that, you just you live in a level of comfort. And I think we're all guilty of this. But until you're willing to push yourself out of that, things aren't going to happen. Because one of the things that I think so many people struggle with is they, they're doing all of these different things, but they're not ever changing the patterns of those things. And so they just continue to do the same thing over and over again and expect a different result. And of course, we know how that goes. Now, one of my personal struggles with that is as I'm leaning into these new things and these new challenges, obviously, you're not comfortable. So that brings up a lot of struggles and it brings up a lot of insecurities. So how do you personally overcome insecurities when things pop up along the way? Because obviously I know from being at Disney to transferring over to Holosco, there's a lot of new things that you're stepping into. Oh yeah. Well, one, like finding a way to make normal the fact that the insecurity is going to happen. It's not, will it happen or could it happen? It's going to happen. The like idea of imposter syndrome that you're going to be found out for not being good enough or not qualified enough or not the right fit for this thing that's new that you don't have as much expertise in is not reserved for just people that are, you know, mediocre and below some of the most prolific contributors in the world if you search imposter syndrome, you'll find some of the biggest names in the history of time who confess to having felt these very same things. So it's normal. First, start there. Second, for me, I know that I have habits that I have usually gone to when insecurity has shown up in my life that if I don't replace the, the you know, a trigger shows up and it provokes some kind of response that gives me some kind of feeling. If that response is for me, if it's healthy, if it keeps me from spinning or finding myself, you know, stacking my insecurity on top of each other, look out, I'm going down. It's not good. And so I've had to become 
And, and with Rachel, frankly, we've had to become really, really uh, intentional about our habits. We have a very consistent morning routine. We work out, move our body, go on a run, do something that shows us that we can be physically strong every single day. If you can be physically strong every single day, you train your brain that you can also be mentally strong every single day. We commit to how we eat. We commit to how much water we're drinking. And for me, I have had as vices when things get really crazy, things like grabbing a drink too many or four drinks too many. So in seasons where I know I'm going into something that's going to particularly work on something that I get insecure about or become um, potentially overwhelming, I have to just not drink at all. I am in a season right now of not drinking at all because I know myself too well, because I have an addictive personality and I get in my own way by trying to mute the stuff that feels uncomfortable. But we got too much stuff to do for me to mute the, the uncomfort, the discomfort separate from, and this is the next really important point. My friend Brendan Burchard says you have to honor the struggle, right? Like if you're resorting to things that would mute the discomfort, you won't feel the, the fruit that comes from the journey. The entire point of putting yourself into this posture of discomfort is the same reason why you go to the gym and break the muscle down. You can't build the muscle unless you break it. And you can't grow into who you're meant to be unless you are present in the struggle. So if I'm leaning on drinking or leaning on putting on headphones and playing video games or leaning on going on long runs or leaning on whatever my coping mechanism is, I'm not present in the struggle. And the point is the struggle. And the more you can get your brain to appreciate that the point is the struggle and change the narrative you've given around the why for you to have to feel uncomfortable, the more that you look for it and embrace it. And if you're not feeling it, pushing yourself even further, dreaming even bigger dreams or finding things that are even further outside of your comfort zone and saying, all right, it's time to go there. I got to grow. Mm, yes, 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 yes. You mentioned the morning routine and we basically started implementing our own morning routine, I would say less than a year ago at this point, but it has been one of the single most influential parts of our of our journey so far and it has made all the difference in the world. So we are very big supporters of the morning routine and getting yourself set up for success every single day. It's not fun every morning. Though, no, right? I mean, like no. you don't wake up every morning like, yes, 5 a.m. Let's do this. Dave, I hate right? it. Like, I hate right. it. <laughs> every single day. Here's I'm like, why? Because I hated it for so long. And then I started hating it less. And now I intermittently hate it. Right. Like they're just days. I had some stuff that I had to crush for a book deadline last night. I didn't get to go to bed until about midnight. We go to bed by 9 p.m. on the regular. Mm. So when 5 a.m. came this morning, I was like, oh, no, Satan. No, no, <laughs> no. But here's the thing. If like you've just said my identity is a person who has a morning routine. I get up at 5 a.m. when 5 a.m. comes or whatever your time is, you get up. And on the days that you don't want to, you do it anyway. And mm -hmm. once you get into such a habit that that's just the thing you do, it doesn't occur to you on Saturday morning to sleep in. You're up. This, it's just the way that you start your day. It's just the way that you create the energy as the power plant to fuel your body for the balance of the day. You've got to have a really great morning routine. Yeah. 
For sure. So Brian and I work together on three different projects. And I know you guys work on, work, you and Rach work out together on a million different things too. But let's talk about that for a second. So we find that working together, we love being able to like lean on each other and have that strong support system just built in. How do you, you guys make sure that you're there for each other as you continue on your mission? Well, we hang out every single minute of the day. Uh, no, I mean, that's part of it. Like proximity truly is allowing in real time the like, I've got an idea. What do you think? Oh, no, no, that's a great idea. But what if you were to like thing that happens in great work environments happen way more fluidly and frequently. And it's fantastic. Um, the thing, though, that I think has been the secret to the success of how we work together is the unbelievable role clarity on who's doing what so that the most likely thing that might derail our successfully working together, which is ego, um, has, has less of a chance of getting in the way. We're both high performers. We're both like, I think very confident in the ability that we have to add value to the work that we do. So if we don't have like where my strengths can best be applied to this business, where her strengths can be best applied to this business and work to stay in our lane, be supportive of her work in that lane, she of my work in mine. Um, that's the thing that's been super helpful because when we try to do the same job and we have differing opinions, the emotion that comes out of our love and personal relationship outside of work hours sometimes creeps into the objectivity you're hoping for making the best business decision. I mean, I hear what you're saying. and We work together. We just can't identify with any of that, Dave, I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Here's the thing. I'll, I mean, I'll, I'll say it though. Like, I'll admit it. The, the year or so that we have worked together every day, it's been one of the best years of our 15 years of being married. It's been one of the hardest years of our 15 years of been, being married because the especially in like what maybe is a less traditional business partnership. She spent a decade and a half building something. It was all of her work that got us to the kind of success that we've seen in the last year. So the pride that she had as a female founder, as a CEO, that was a woman that like built this thing that's become this thing was now having to welcome me in, in a role that was going to take a title that she'd previously had and lead a team that she'd previously built. And so I try to be really conscientious of acknowledging that the success that we're seeing is the handiwork of her decade and a half of sweat equity. But also we're trying to be self-aware of the reality that she has had a way of doing things for such a long period of time that my new set of eyes coming in even if it might be what's best for the business, maybe emotionally difficult for her to see because of the way she's always done things. So we try to we try to be as honest about it as possible. Frankly, we've had a crazy commitment to radical candor that was um, a byproduct of some work I was doing at Disney just before I left. But we've you know really committed to if we have some beef, we are dealing with it respectfully in real time or as near real time as possible, which means we have waded into and had more hard conversations about getting to the why of what it is that's bothering one or the other of us than we've ever had in our relationship. 
which, you know, sometimes on date night <laughs> makes for, you know, a little more of a therapy session than casual conversation. The product, though, has been that we're able to move faster and we're able to still want to make out and we love each other, even on the days when we're frustrated or hard because we're able to get past it faster. Right. Yep. So we have two kids and we already feel like our hands are just totally full with them and our jobs because we're working. We're working an eight to five and then doing the podcast and then I have a little blog on the side. But you guys have four young kids. How do you make the time to go after your dreams like you guys are so hard and still be a present parent? Like, what are you give us the secrets? Well, it's about being really intentional and deliberate with the time that you have. So we have a standing 630 dinner hour that every single night we sit around the dinner table. There's no technology. Everyone goes around and talks about the highs and lows of their day. Like there's some routine in that. There is one of us taking the kids to school every single morning. There's one of us putting the kids tonight to bed each night with, you know, a story or a conversation every single night. Like they're getting their time with each of us individually. We're having some communal time. And, um, and during the week that that might be all they get. And, and frankly, it might be all that they kind of want or need. Um, and then the weekends it's about, all right, a little bit of dividing and conquering during sports seasons, if I'm going to be honest, because all of these games seem to stack on top of each other, but having a parent in the stands cheering along, if someone's trying to hit a ball or kick a ball uh, and then, you know, doing something outside. We, we moved to Texas in part because of wanting to live on a piece of property that was bigger and didn't cost as much. And so we have a big old yard where we can shoot a basketball in the driveway, kick a soccer ball in the field or, chase each other on little bikes, you know, around, uh, the, the garage and, and doing those things, you know, like that's about being intentional though, with it being a priority, you know, for how we want to show up and spend time with them when travel or work becomes a thing that has to take a little more of a priority. Uh, we have help. I mean, like we ask for help. We have, uh, my niece lives here in Austin, with us and is, you know, always around to be able to be a family face, but we have a nanny and she's rad and she's a part of our family and is here every single day is my two-year-old daughter's very best friend and knows where the trampoline park and the rock climbing wall and the frozen yogurt place is. So, um, you know, like it, it, it's, it's a you know thing that we have to be really intentional about in terms of where and how we spend our time, but also, we're on a mission to change the world and we can't do that without the help of the family and community that we have to bring in here to also help us with the kids as we go do the work. Yeah, absolutely. Just as a side note, I have to say that Noah Hollis is about the cute, one of the cutest kids I've ever seen. I can't say the cutest cause you know, I have two kids and, and I can't go there, but, uh, but I definitely have to preface it with that. But I think the struggle for a lot of people is asking for that help because obviously I think a lot of times we use that as an excuse. I know a lot of people use time as an excuse because it's something that we have a limited resource of, but it's all in where you put your time. And I really love how you and Rachel always discuss like, first of all, steps and tools for how to find more time, but your own routine and everything that you guys go through in order to free up that time. And like you said, just being very intentional about 
where that time needs to be because, as you said, you're on a mission to change the world. Well, here's the thing. And I like if you want to send an angry email, I'll give you an email box we don't open. Uh, we are, <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. My, uh, my, my wife in real time is modeling for three boys and a girl that a woman can have ambition, can be as much a boss as anybody else can uh, truly have wild, massive global impact. And that's something that I want them to grow up never having to think twice about that a woman can or can't do certain things is never hopefully a thing that the kids that live in this house will ever question that their parents have ambition for chasing big dreams is a thing I'd like to model for my kids so that they grow up never thinking that having ambition to chase big dreams is a thing that they ought to question. I want to model believing in a mission so much that you'd work as hard as we have to sometimes so that when they find that calling on their heart, that it never occurs to them to do anything, but chase it with it, with just, you know, everything in their being. And so you know, are there times when, man, I wish we could spend a little bit more time for sure. But I also like, I have so much confidence in the quality of the humans that we're raising here. The fact that they've never had any other experience than this and the kind of modeling that we're doing that it works for us and it's working great, but it might not be the thing that works for the person who's listening. And that's completely okay, because I think every single person is going to have a little bit of a different experience in how they want to try and raise their crew. I think the question that I'd ask, the bigger question is, is the, the rationale that you're using, I didn't want to use the word excuse, but it's the rationale of not pursuing a, a thing that could have impact because of what it might do to your kids actually serving them. Right. And I like, look, I think it's a great thing. You should spend time as much time as you can with your kids. But if you tr are teaching your kids that you are going to, instead of fully living into who you could be and the impact that you could have on this world, make sure that they see you at every single school volunteer opportunity that might be your calling. And if that's your calling and that's how you feel full and that's how you think you are serving best, awesome. But if you're doing that because of a guilt that you have, that you might be judged by the other moms in the PTA or that your kids might resent not seeing your face every day, I'll argue that they might end up resenting. They will never use that word unless they're sitting in therapy, that you didn't actually pursue the calling of your heart because that was the model that they needed to see. Right, right. Like other children in our daughter's preschool class think that grandma is mom because how much mommy doesn't show up. But like you said, I mean, that's the choice we're making because we know, we know that our kids need to see me working and me tackling the things that are important to me. And yes, I'm available at 5 p.m. And yes, I'm available on the weekends, but I, I can't do preschool pickup and drop off. And that's just going to have to be how it is. So we totally how get lucky, that. How lucky, how lucky for your preschooler to have the model of someone pursuing their, their dreams and a caretaker who affords them and provides them the kind of love that they need. That is a luxury. That's amazing. That's to be celebrated, not you know, in any way, something that anyone would have to try and explain. 
and it's tough because we live in a, we live in a society that has, you know, I would argue because of just a little bit of the history of gender norms in this country and others, you know, put certain expectations on the place that certain people should or shouldn't be. And I don't know. I think it's, it's 2019. We can change that narrative if we keep having a healthy conversation about the why. Amen to that. Amen to that. So for someone out there with just no clue about how to find their passion, what advice would you give them on how to discover it? Because I know you can do a Google search, but how do you find something that you're passionate about? I know it's something that I've personally struggled with as well. Well, I've, I've gone through periods of like being on that journey and not finding the right answers and the places that I have always gone back to that have helped me get closer have been impact or service oriented. And so like my first piece of advice would be, you know, if you're stuck and you don't know what to do, show up somewhere show up at your church, show up at your community center, show up at the old folks home, show up at, I think you have to call it a senior citizen center, show up somewhere and connect with someone who can benefit from you being in their life and see if there isn't something that is pulled on threadwise that leads you to a passion that you want to chase. I've had the opportunity to be uh, an ally or advocate for a variety of different groups when I was back in the Walt Disney company. And it really like it showed me how much I liked using the talent I had to try and pour into other people. And when the opportunity to work with my wife in a company that was with its like mission statement, putting tools in the hands of people that if they use them, they can change their lives. The idea of creating things that could help people change their lives makes me want to get out of bed in the morning. So I start with like, how can you serve or have impact? Because what you're asking is what's your why? Why am I here? What is my purpose? Like your passion and your purpose, your passion and your why are connected. And you want to know, like, like what what, will it all matter? Will it all matter? I, I, I did this live stream this morning, I was talking about this crazy Dwayne Wade retirement commercial. Yeah, I mean, if you want to cry, <laughs> if you want to cry. Okay, so you saw it. But like, I keep on thinking there's this amazing commercial that's about these people who he affected during the course of his career that bring him these symbols of the impact that he had for putting up on the wall with all the other things that he collected at the end of his career. And I like the, the question that I ask when you're wondering about your passion is, what, what trophies, what representation of impact would you hope that people might hand you at the end and work backwards, right? Like if you want to, if you want to be the person that can bring joy, can help cure this, can work on ending that can, you know, and it might be, I've been given these hands and these hands can build things and I want to build things. You can see yourself as a person who puts boards together for a house or a person who creates a home, right? Like it's a little bit of how you decide to kind of let the narrative play out in your head, but that end, like if you can envision the end of how you want to be recognized when your journey's through, work backwards and ask like, what's my why that gets me from where I am to to that vision? Definitely. Yeah. We always say like, 
you know, you have to be willing to think a little bit outside of the box, too, because let's say you like to teach. Well, that doesn't mean you have to be a teacher. There are a million ways you can teach somebody and not be like a teacher in an elementary school. One hundred percent, for sure. I mean, I'm definitely coming out of an experience where because of how much growth has come when I let go of the the, the person I thought I needed to be for society, for my peers at my company, for the industry I worked in, for the parents who raised me to chase achievement. Like uh, once I, once I was comfortable to step away from an identity that had been assigned to me in my mind by others and just look at what I wanted to do for me, well, that's freeing. Because I think a lot of times when people are stuck, not knowing what passion to pursue it's because they're asking if their dreams are going to make other people in their life uncomfortable, if their dreams are acceptable in the eyes of their husband or wife, if they're allowed to dream something this audacious, if they can really pursue that thing they love to do when they were little, because is that really a job? And the answer is, if you find joy, if you get passion from it, like, Rachel, when she's talking to women, a lot of times will like have this moment of like, I feel like I've lost myself. And she always will ask them, who were you before you were his husband or their mom or the, the coworker? And when you get back to the core of who you were before, if you're a man, who were you before you felt like you had to live up to this definition of masculinity before you had to like do these things to be a good man. Who were you before that guy? If that guy was a guy that was crazy into sports who woke up every day looking for a newspaper when he used to have to look for a newspaper to see a box score, then start picking around that area that you used to get up and get so excited about. And that's, uh, you know, it's not going to be you know, like, oh, snap your fingers, I'm going to go be this thing. But at least it's going to, like, hopefully lead to a trail of breadcrumbs that makes answering the question a thing that you can get closer to, you know, in in a day-by-day kind of fashion. Right, right. Yeah, I bet those uh, women sitting in those conferences or with Rach have a little bit of work to do when they're trying to think back to who they were before all that. Because I know, for me, I've been a wife or at least a, a partner for so long and a worker for so long. It's you have to think back, like who, who really am I when I was before I was all these things. So that'd be a challenge to have to think through all that. That's crazy. And Brandon's just been the man. Yep. The whole time. <laughs> uh, definitely, definitely wouldn't go there. <laughs> uh, but, uh, one of the questions I, I really wanted to ask you is if you could, if you could give your younger self, just some advice because I always think back and and I posted a picture on social media the other day of me and Megan a very long time ago when we were babies. But I thought about it then and it was like, if you could tell your younger self something, if you could give your younger self some advice now that you are where you are and you've seen how it's played out and I know you're still in the middle of it, what advice would that be? So it's two things. I mean, the first is 100% to recognize that nobody cares what I am up to. Literally no one, even you guys, no one. I mean, like we all, it's humanity. It's not a negative thing. Care about ourselves. And the worry of what others might think of what we're doing or how what we do may or may not affect, like 
that is a thing that holds back people getting from where they are to where they want to go or getting from who they are to who they need to be or want to be or who God wants them to be. That is it. like I, I left a company that I had put so much identity in and gave so much power to like my leaving was a thing that we talked about years before I left, but I didn't because of what they might think. And I've been gone for a year and I'm connected to a couple of people that are, you know, more than a couple of people that I'm like really had great friendships with, but none of them, all of the ones that I was worried about what they might think are not and have not thought about me. And that's not an indictment on them being bad people. It's that they're human and human, you human, me human, we're all worried about ourselves. So that's one. The second thing is that I would have really tried to convince my 20 year old self to care about health. I, I am going to have my most prolific years in the next five years of my life. And I could have slid that back to 25 to 30 or 20 to 25 if I'd been disciplined with my morning routine, if I'd been disciplined about working out, if I'd been disciplined about putting body, the food in my body that blessed it didn't <laughs> come from Taco Bell or wherever. Um, I took for granted that I was going to live forever. I mean, I took for granted that's not even a real thing. I just believed I was. And so I didn't act as though there was a preciousness with time and a consideration for this correlation between the way you set your body up for helping you succeed and not. And so I'm going to be in the best shape of my life over the next five years. And if I had known that that would have been a thing that would have been easier to do with a different metabolism and better <laughs> everything when you're in your twenties. Uh, you know, I accomplished a lot, but I, I, I think if I could go back, I'm like, geez, you could have accomplished so much more if you were healthier, if you were more considerate of getting up and starting the day with great habits, if you didn't have the vices that you gave into like all of that stuff. So don't worry about what people think and care about your health young Dave. <laughs> yes, we're we're still in the learning stages of the the nutrition part of that. We have the we have the workout part mostly down, but nutrition like you said that Taco Bell it just it just gets you. It's so hard to deny right? it. <laughs> <laughs> but we're hardcore now. I mean, honestly, the like the, the food and the drink thing, that that game has come and gone and the only thing that allows it to be something that becomes normal is frequency like we've just been there's just such a tie like if we if we have a date night and we go and eat something that's not on our regular diet we're slugs the next day we don't want to get up and work out the next day we're not as productive in meetings the next day we can't have as good a podcast the next day or as good a whatever it might be and so um it's a, you know, it's a, it's a little bit of a trade-off, but once you get into it, like anything, you can train yourself to do literally anything. It just takes commitment and time. <laughs> yep, exactly. So one of the things you mentioned, you said you're about to enter your most prolific next five years. Let's talk about the next year. What are you most looking forward to in this coming year? Well, I have turned in and will be releasing a book. And so I am, I'm, 
personally, separate from the company, separate from Rachel Hollis, separate from the humans that I uh, am helping raise, I am personally most excited about that because it's terrifying. Because uh, I'm in the book telling a lot of stories about the ways that I got in my way during the course of my adult lifetime and uh, am sharing stuff vulnerably that most uh, most people, let alone most men, don't in the hopes that by talking openly about a whole bunch of stuff, it'll allow people to identify with it and have constructive conversations with the relationships that they care about in their life and chase their, their bigger, better selves. So uh, it comes out in March next year. I'm excited about it. I'm in the middle of edits. Today is literally an editing day. I got my first round back. There's a lot of red pen on this thing, uh, but I'm excited about that. We have on the company side, a lot of really great things coming in succession that keeps, um, I mean, it keeps us up, but also like keeps us really, really excited. There's a couple of conferences that we have um, coming that have been announced and a slew of them that have not. There's a new line of apparel that's coming out from QVC in a quick minute. There's a whole bunch of fun announcements coming in the media space with big partners that I am excited about in part because we're going into some places where um, as much as we've kind of been witness to what can happen, have never ourselves worked in them. And so again, it's like, Hey, let's push ourselves into some places that are new so that we can be excited by and grow from some of what is, you know, exhilarating and some of what is terrifying about a new, uh, a new place to teach. So it's going to be it's going to be great. And then from like a family perspective, we're one more year into living now in Texas. We're more familiar with the area. We have a community of people that we are more connected to. We are, um, you know, really like we have our stride now. And so um, coming out of what for us was a transition year, I'm excited about having a year where it just feels normal, where we're going to be able to fight a little bit more for routine and some tradition. And uh, and, and some peace and Sabbath, like making sure that we're spending the kind of time enjoying this place that once we're out here, we're in holy sweats and uh, W-H-O-L-Y, holy sweats. <laughs> and uh, I mean, they are also holy, if I'm going to really be honest. But, um, you know, we just we want to we want to relax. We want to just be able to, like, be here and be present and uh, and hang with the kids. So I look forward to that, too. Well, I'm just going to speak for one individual man, myself. You already have my money for your book. I've I've heard you share some of the chapters on your morning show, and and like I said, you already have one dude's money. So I just want to. This is the you... only reason why I came on this show. If I'm going to be totally honest, was to sell one book. I'm doing it 48 minutes at a time. So <laughs> mission accomplished. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Yeah. One of the things, and for those of you who don't know, Rachel and Dave have made a movie. It's on Netflix now. It's called Made for More. And I did watch it. Even though I'm a man, I did watch it and I got a lot out of it. But one of the things that I loved is when Rachel says that you don't have to know someone for them to be your mentor. There's a whole section on how to find a mentor. And she says, you don't have to know someone for them to be your mentor. And then she went on to talk about all of what she had learned from people that she's never met and that don't even know she exists. Well, Dave, I'm here to tell you that both Rachel and yourself are those mentors to us. Even though oh, we've ne- so even nice. though we've never met you in person, 
and now we're uh, we're digital friends. You've had inspired us to just be so much better, and we're very thankful for that. Oh man, that's so cool. I appreciate that. It's so true, though. Like the mentors that we've had over the last decade, over the last five years, for sure, were people that everybody knows the name of and that they did not know who we were. And it came through their books and their podcasts and their teaching. And some of them bizarrely, you know, are starting to become kind of virtual friends through the craziness of the internet. So I'm going to hold out hope that you'll keep on crushing, putting great content into the universe. And so will we, and yes, someday we'll be able to hang out together and say hello in real time. human form. Maybe in our holy sweatpants. There it is. Come on. <laughs> Dave, thanks so much for being on today. We would definitely love to have you back once your new book comes out. Um, you've, been, you've been a lot of fun, so we appreciate that so much. Thank you, Dave. Right on, guys. I appreciate I, Oh, for sure. I appreciate you having me. Keep doing good work. Hey, B, what did you think of that episode? I think it was pretty dang good. Well, what should someone do if they enjoyed these last 30 minutes? They should probably head over and leave us a review so we can reach more people. They definitely should. Guys, if you like the Fools in Love podcast, please go follow us over on Instagram at Fools in Love Podcast. We'd love to connect with you and learn more about what you'd like to hear.